Hey everybody, and welcome to Crime and Spirits Podcast, your one-stop shop for spooky stories, handcrafted cocktails, and all things true crime. I'm your host, Bree. And I am your other host, Seuss. I'm also the resident bartender here at Crime and Spirits. Because not only do we bring you a new case or topic of interest every week, but we also teach you a little something about mixology along the way. I mix up a drink that ties in in some way with our theme for the week and then walk you through how to make one for yourself so you can sip right along with us. We've been friends for years and one of our favorite things to do is mix up something delicious and throw on a true crime documentary, which is basically what this podcast has become. It is, however, better research than that. (laughs) We promise. Cross our hearts. (laughs) We also have a script written out that we mostly follow. Mostly. Still, you can expect some tangents here and there. We also managed to find a way to mention Criminal Minds at least once, if not multiple times, per episode. You gotta give Dr. Spencer Reed all the love. Yes, girl. And you also can't forget the cursing, because we definitely curse on this show. We try to keep things a little bit more conversational. Think less like Dateline and more like Girls' Night. Just replace the catty gossip with actual facts. And maybe just a little catty gossip. So come hang out with us, learn a little something with us every Sunday, and make sure to join us on Instagram or Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. That is the word and. We'd love to chat with you about, I mean, whatever, really, but mostly true crime. So buckle up, Buttercup. Sip tight. And let's get on with the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Crime and Spirits, your new favorite true crime and cocktail podcast. My name is Bree. And I'm Suze. And we're so very happy you could join us today. Hey, hey, hey. It's my favorite time of week. I know. It's my favorite love, time of the year. I love being here. <laughs> I love too. being with you guys. Suze is excited about St. Patrick's Day. I love St. Patrick's Day, guys. I'm not quite sure. So I did one of those DNA tests. Oh, yeah. It turns out I am Irish. I feel like everybody's Irish. To some degree. They say everybody's Irish on (laughs) St. Patrick's Day. Right. My friends, um, Mark and Kira, always throw like the best, Mm -hmm. most awesomest um, (laughs) St. Patty's Day party. They had it last weekend, but we do Reuben omelets. She did a baked potato bar. You could do Reuben's. She just had crock pots of sauerkraut, all the desserts, meat and cheese, (laughs) you know, and... Irish beer, of course. The well, whole yeah. nine yards. Duh. It's very exciting. <laughs> I just love how festive it is. That's fair. That's that's my thing. <laughs> I don't even wear green normally, but I'll happily rock it on St. Patty's Day. I look terrible in green, I feel. It Mark depends. also does not look great in green. This year I found a tie-dyed shirt that says 100% lucky. You oh, know, yeah. I no, love I saw, a good tie-dye. I saw that on Instagram. It's so, cute. And my eye makeup is always gold, so I'm like, all right, great. <laughs> I did it without even thinking. <laughs> we're doing a movie night tomorrow night, so my mother-in-law is coming over, and we're watching Scream 3, 4, and 5. Oh, yeah, because the new one just came the out. The new one huh? just came out, and we want to watch it before we get spoiled, so then we're also going to go to the movie Saturday morning oh, and nice. watch Scream 6. Nice. So I have quite the day ahead of me That's tomorrow. Gonna be I'm so excited. Much fun, though. I love hanging out with Lisa. She's fucking cool. And we're going to order pizza. And then we'll go to breakfast the next morning. Heck yeah. I'm excited. That sounds amazing. It's a pretty good weekend. So not St. Patrick's Day related, but I think mm. still a great way to hang still out. Still fun. Yeah. <laughs> That's all that matters. So uh, before we get into our little, our little case, well, it's not even a little case. Before we get into things today, I want to do a really quick belated birthday shout out to our favorite listener, Lynn. Ling Ling. Yeah, we love you. Happy belated birthday. Happy birthday again. Yeah. <laughs> she had a long day. Poor girl for had her to work birthday. on her birthday. And of course, we're going through the uh, the season where everybody's can't come to work. The so, second round of flu season. Yeah. There's a stomach virus, flu mm-hmm. things. One guy's got a newborn at work. So it's just, there's a lot of factors working against us. Yeah. So it's been like the bare bones crew working. So I'm thankful Ling came to work on her birthday, even though she didn't feel good herself. Right. Well, and as you guys know, I was on my ass last Mm -hmm. week, knocked out with some chest thing and also stomach bug. It was awful. Truly, it's probably this weather. Mm Y'all, I'm not kidding. I don't know where you guys are listening from. Hopefully Mm -hmm. somewhere warm and beautiful. Not this weird. We got last Friday. So like a week ago, we got Mm -hmm. like a foot of snow. Yep. With, like, 50-mile-per-hour winds. Yep. Like, it was icy and treacherous. It's 50 freaking degrees out today. The yeah. sun was out all day. I got in my car with my coat on, and I was like, oh, hail to the no. <laughs> no, no. Took that shit off. 
We drove to dinner last night. Mark's mom wanted to go to this fish fry place out in New York. It was actually really good. It was called Davidson's Family Restaurant. Mm, I love a good fish fry. It was good. It was really good. Um, but we were on our way out to her place. And Mark, like, just starts undressing himself. <laughs> he put the car, like, in park, I think, when he was at a stoplight. And I was like, what are you doing? I thought he was about to, like, leave the car. <laughs> I was like, what's happening like, here? Back. And, like, I'm telling him some story about work. And he's just, like, not. It was hilarious. He's like, no, I'm just taking my coat off. Too hot. Everything's fine. Yeah. But I was just apparently... I don't know why I thought that was a thing. <laughs> you so, never can tell. It's been a really rough week for me personally. So I'm excited to be here because, you guys, it was a journey for me <laughs> to get here. Heck yeah. So what we've got going on this week is also going to go into next week. We've got a two-parter for you. This case is a doozy. And we just want to make sure that we get through everything. There's so much to cover with this one. Oh, for sure. And... We want to give the details the proper attention without making you sit through, like, a five-hour long episode. Because we know you love us, but that's a lot of us. I don't even want to talk for that long (laughs) at one time. My mouth feels kind of dry just thinking about all that. I'm good on that. (laughs) So, the case that we are going to be diving into is the murder of Greg Smart. Now, this may not trigger any sort of memories for those true crime fans from the 90s, because... While this is a well-known case, most people really only recognize the name of the the one responsible for said murder, which is the one and only Pamela Smart. Mm. If you're not familiar with the story, buckle up, kids, because it's a it's a wild ride. We're taking you on a ride. So, you know, back in the early '90s, Greg was found dead inside of his home. He was quote unquote found by his wife, Pam, and what unfolded over the next few months was shocking, to say the least, not just to the small community of Derry, New Hampshire, but to the entire fucking nation. This is another one of those that took place before the Bobbits mm-hmm. and, like, before all that crazy stuff that was just totally had the nation in its grips. Right. It's It was insane, and it was everywhere. So this week, we're going to go over all of the background information on Pam and Greg and their whole story and then we're going to talk about the murder itself and then next week we're going to pick up with the investigation the trials and the many 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 appeals so many that have taken place over the last 30 years and is actually still happening in real time currently as of like Valentine's Day I believe was the last yeah or not that long after but yeah it's it's still a thing y'all so that's what we've got. Um, as per usual, here's your warning. This episode does involve the discussion of gun violence and murder. Just a quick heads up. If you want to tune out now, feel free. We hope you don't. Yeah. It's really not gory or crazy. No. Um, we find it best not to dwell on too many of the specific details for too long. But of course, the mention of them is necessary to telling the story itself. Just know that Bree and I go into the creation of this podcast with nothing but the best of intentions and nothing but respect for the victims and the families of those involved. That being said, if you like what you're about to hear, please be sure to follow the podcast on social media. We're on all of them. Maybe if you are feeling froggy, pop on over to your favorite streaming service and leave us a rating and review. This just helps us get found a little bit more organically, and it's also a great way to show your support. Yeah. Which we appreciate. Always. And just like a really quick little business announcement before Sue starts mixing up some drinks for us. There were some of you who reached out and asked about whether or not we had like a Patreon or any sort of thing in place where maybe you could give us a little bit of love of the financial variety. And I love that you were interested. So in the background, what is happening, Susan and I are working on kind of like a rebrand, if you will. We've kind of mentioned it before. We're reworking a lot of things. Our core concept's going to stay the same, but we're just kind of really leaning into what we want this to look like long term. Well, and now that we sound better and we feel like we're putting a better face forward, Mm -hmm. we're going to try and get everything else aligned with that. Things are starting to fall into place for us for what we want this to look like. Finally. (laughs) Long term. And so we're working on that in the background, which is going to include things that will eventually turn into you know, exclusive bonus content. So the short answer is, yes, we're going to have a Patreon 
in the relatively near-ish future. For now, though, there is an option to show us a little bit of love. If you want, no press. All you have to do is there's going to be a link in the show notes, and it's going to take you right to the page that will walk you through kind of how you can become a monthly supporter. So just a little bit of business before we dive into things. Suze has a really fun drink in front of me right now. So that's so pretty. I can't wait to hear about this one. So I know I may have mentioned like one or 200 times how much I like a good blue drink. (laughs) I just think they're fun. They're pretty. Does it have anything to do with our story today? Literally nothing. Nope, not at all. (laughs) In the beginning, I really had no idea what to do for this case, like literally zero ideas about the cocktail here. So I got to thinking about the time frame of the late 80s slash early 90s retro, you know, those bright colors, those crazy patterns, Mm -hmm. something good, but also cool looking. So here we are making a really delicious twist on an electric lemonade that we're calling the Sweet Tart Lemonade. Mm. Does this drink have lemonade in it, you may be asking? No, (laughs) it does not. Mm -mm. There are about a thousand different variations on this beverage, some of which do actually contain lemonade. Some of them have ginger ale. Some of them have one of the ingredients floated instead of mixed in. Whatever you want to do. But this is our version. I did look up history on the electric lemonade itself. I literally got nowhere. There's <laughs> oh, no. 100,000 different versions. It's a great sweet and tart cocktail, and it's downright refreshing, as well as super easy to concoct. Typically, in an electric lemonade, you would want to use a citrus vodka. However, I'm going completely off the rails here. We're using rum. Oh. Ah. <laughs> so when I went on my cruise in 2019, I found out that Cruzan Rum makes a blue mer blueberry lemonade flavor Mm. rum it is perfectly blended and the sweetness of the rum really takes the edge off the cocktail and maybe off your day or week if it's going how ours have been for sure (laughs) Mm -hmm. so um cruzan rum was based on the island of saint croix which is an island in the caribbean sea and a county and constituent district of the united states virgin islands oh was that part of your cruise saint thomas was okay which is right down the street basically so close but not that close Mm -hmm. um this saint croix has also previously flown the flags of spain the netherlands england france the knights of malta and denmark oh wow okay i hope someday to get there haven't been there yet yeah i want to go on another cruise perhaps a little less crazy train cruise (laughs) and more like fun relaxing cruise yeah um so someday we, um, we got to do that Mississippi River cruise. That too. That would be a lot of fun. That's like, I've just envisioned gambling and smoking cigars on the deck or something. I mean, yes. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. I'm not that. mad about that at all. So in 1934, Cruzan Rum got its official name. The first batch was distilled and bottled. The rum just got smoother and better and more flavorful over the years. We have had here on the podcast... Their banana flavor and the hurricane proof. Oh, the super they were the hurricane thing. one. Yes, it was good. It was good, but, but that would oh, knock your socks off. Buddy, was it strengthy? <laughs> the banana was really good too. Banana was really good. I like this one a lot. It's really good in this cocktail. But they do have like a hundred other flavors mm. and varieties: dark rum, spiced rum. You know, the whole it runs the gamut. Yeah, Whatever it's got all the want. options. Um, and it's affordable. So we love that. I'm, I'm, I love it. I'm here for it. Um, so in addition to the rum, you'll also need my fave, the blue curacao, which we have discussed at length. Yes. That's <laughs> it been makes a, a pretty blue color. Yeah. Um, I also made some homemade sweet and sour mix. You can buy it if you want to. Um, whatever blows your hair back. It's literally lemon and lime juice in equal parts and a diluted version of simple syrup. So two parts water to one part sugar instead oh. of one and one. Okay. You make the simple syrup ish whatever cool it add in a half cup of the lemon and lime shake it all up i put it in a mason jar and just put it in the fridge yeah and call it last for up to a week in the fridge you can freeze it if you want for up to a month oh you can make ice cubes mm-hmm. probably right yeah, that was oh. my theory yeah because i was we like oh, maybe when that. we're done here i'll do that <laughs> yeah we want to get fun ice cube trays that's been like our latest thing it's true and maybe we could make something fancy yeah like simple syrup so the rum, the blue curacao, the sweet and sour mix, and then I grabbed Sprite, 
If this drink is too sweet for you, which it is very sweet, it is delicious, you can use club soda if you'd prefer. Um, like I said, if you want to buy store-bought sours mix, feel free. But it, I keep all that stuff on hand. Right. So it was like that cost me nothing to just mix it all together. Right. Whatever floats your boat, guys. Well, I mean, at the rate we're making these two, it kind of makes more sense. This way it gives us the ability to spend when it comes to, like, the liquors and, like, the fun parts well, of the drink. And I've seen you can buy sours mix at Walmart. You can buy mm-hmm. pre-made simple syrup at Walmart, the liquor store, wherever. But it's, like, 4 or $5 for a small bottle. It's yeah. Like, to me, that's just Not really silly. worth it. But, Silliness. I mean, also some people want the convenience of it. So no judgment there. None, totally none got whatsoever. it. whatsoever. Like I said, I just always have that stuff on hand. So right. So for me, it was, like, a no-brainer. Mm-hmm. Um, so to mix up the cocktail itself... Super duper easy. You take one and a half ounces of the blueberry lemonade rum, one half ounce of the blue curacao, and one and a half ounces of the sours mix. Again, depending on your glassware, it could be more or less, but this is what we are working with. I added that all to my mason jar shaker with ice, shook it all super well, and then strained it over fresh ice in a Collins glass. Whether you're using Sprite or club soda, just top your blue drink off with a splash or more of whatever suits your fancy. And then we garnished it with a lemon wedge. Mmm. That's good, right? Ooh. See, I don't think it's too sweet with the Sprite. Mm-mm. I think that's good. The rum good. itself is pretty sweet. That's why I was like, I don't know. Some people don't care for that level of sweetness at all. I think I'm going to squeeze my lemon wedge in it a little bit just to add a little, a little bit more, more tartness. Um, because I like a more tart beverage versus mm-hmm. sweet, but this is really good. It's just, And it's so fun looking. Like, it's a really bright blue color. It's easy to drink. It mm-hmm. always just makes me think of, like, for... I don't know if TGI Friday still has this, but I feel like they used to have the classic electric lemonade. I mean, maybe. And TGI Friday's is a very 90s thing for me. Yes. So... <laughs> We used to go as soon as everybody got their driver's license. We'd well, go get dessert and have mocktails. And this color is just such a 90s vibe also. So I'm here for this. I'm loving it. We're going back to the 90s, you yeah. guys. So like I said, we're going to get into background information of Pam and Greg. So Pamela was born on August 16th, 1967 in Florida to parents John and Linda Wojas. Her father worked as a commercial airline pilot. Her mother was a part-time legal secretary. Pamela was the middle child. She had two siblings growing up. She had a sister who was six years older than her and a brother that was three years younger. Growing up, Pamela was close to her mother, but her relationship with her father was strained. Now, the family lived in Miami, and I put, like, born in Florida very specifically because I looked at your uh, research and then I happened to be looking at like a rabbit hole for something and four different sites was like Coral Gables Miami wasn't even born in Florida I'm like what is happening so I think a lot of Florida's like oh well it's Miami but it's the greater Miami area is kind of how like Pittsburgh like Robinson is Pittsburgh but yeah. it's also it's like own thing right that makes sense so I was like she was born in Florida we'll just go with and that. lived in Miami until she was in eighth grade. That was when they first moved to Derry, New Hampshire. This is a small town in Rockingham County, affectionately nicknamed Space Town. You guys know I love my fun facts. And so I had to look it up because there's a uh, TV show on Netflix that I love called Derry Girls. And it's set in Derry, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Love that show. And so I was like, is this related? That just seemed odd. So here are my fun facts about Derry, New Hampshire. First of all, the reason it's called Spacetown is because it was the birthplace of Alan Shepard, who was the first astronaut from the U.S. And also Robert Frost and his family were from there. Hmm. Interesting. How strange. So turns out I was on to something because the area was first settled by Scots-Irish families in 1719. The town of Derry itself was formed in 1827 from the eastern portion of London Derry and was named after the city of Derry in Ireland. So I was like, yay, look at me getting smart. It it does all connect. (laughs) And my last fun fact, because I just had to add this. Did you know that the first potato planted in the U.S. was sown in Derry? 
in the town's common field in 1719. Well, God bless them. I, I sure like, do. Thank you for the potatoes I literally of the United States. said it out loud. I was like, oh, man, I love potatoes. <laughs> Thanks so much, guys. Much appreciated. I couldn't not add that once I read it. I was like, the potato fact is going in That's, the script. Well, we do, we do love our potatoes. We had to love and appreciate it. Right? That's hilarious. <laughs> I know, right? So from everything that we read... Pam was described as an organized child to, like, a great extent. Yeah, to almost an alarming extent, Mm -hmm. I would say. She preferred things to be a certain way. A couple examples of what exactly we mean. For one, she would color coordinate her clothing. Everything was folded and separated, even her dirty clothes. You had, like, the first part, fine. Odd for a child, but fine. I get it. The dirty clothes is what really got me. Yeah, no. They all go in the hamper. Even if you separate them, like, that's also fine. For me, it's, like, the folding part that seems odd. Mm-hmm. I don't, like, I don't know. If that's, like, a thing out there, let me know if I'm... Nothing surprises me the farther I get in the story, though. I, you know? Well, and the more we dig into stuff like this, I'm just not shocked by anything anymore. Mm-mm-mm. I don't know what that says about me as a person, but I, <laughs> I accept it. Um, just another example, she would become upset, like, whoa, when her daily schedule was disrupted. When she was asked to describe herself, she said that she was, quote, definitely the typical Leo, you know, walk in, have to be the center of everything. Everywhere I go, I'm always attracting attention for some reason or another. I'm loud, very outgoing and stuff, end quote. I love how she was like, you know, typical Leo. I know. And I was like, I do know what you mean. (laughs) Um, she was very popular all throughout school. Even the move to New Hampshire didn't slow down her meteoric rise. Um, when she got to high school, she started cheerleading and was part of the squad at Pinkerton Academy. She had lots of friends, and from everything we read, had a very happy and well ba- well-balanced childhood. And if I remember correctly, because she's definitely done lots of interviews over the years, I'm pretty sure she said herself, you know, my childhood was a happy one. I don't think that she really talks negatively about her upbringing. I never heard her blame, you know, my parents yeah. made me the way I am. They made me have right. this mindset. None of that. that yeah. You, you do hear a lot. Absolutely. Which I think is kind of what makes this case interesting, as you guys will see as things unfold. There, There's not a lot of your typical, for lack of a better term, psychopath stuff right. here. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. So... Upon her high school graduation, Pamela attended Florida State University, where she majored in communications. She wanted to have a career in broadcasting one day. That was her, like, dream of all dreams. Her goal, goal. It's all she wanted out of her life. And the thing is about Pamela, she's really fucking smart. And she was a super overachiever. She worked really, really hard while she was in college. On top of her studies, she had interned at a local television news station. She had her own weekly radio show called Metal Madness. She lovingly referred to herself as the maiden of metal. Well, and and I did read a quote from one of her listeners or whoever at the time, and he was like, I never would have expected who I saw behind the microphone. I believe it. I feel like... I. I feel like if you don't have a certain aesthetic, like, for that genre of music, people are like, no. Because she was a cheerleader. Right. You know, perky. The typical Leo. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was definitely, she doesn't give you that vibes, but she loves metal music. Loves, loves, loves. It's a huge theme as we Mm -hmm. go through the story. So she had several jobs. And she was also able to graduate early with honors, which is wild to me. She earned her bachelor's in communications in 1988 and graduated with a 3.85 GPA, which is fucking That's real good, crazy. y'all. Especially with all the activities and work she had going yeah. on outside of just school. According to her, she was just way so she was just so focused on achieving the goal that she set out for herself, which honestly is a trait I wish that I fucking had. <laughs> if only. Right. But, like, this is um, this is the other extreme, though. Like, I almost feel like this was... She was so young. She was just, like, flying through these kind of formative years. Oh, yeah. And she wasn't dating. She was hanging out with friends. But she, she even said that she didn't really have much time for anything but school and work. Which... Ew. <laughs> right? Sad face. <laughs> so it was during one of Pamela's winter breaks that she met Greg for the first time. 
The two were at a mutual friend's New Year's Eve party, and they hit it off right away. Pamela was immediately attracted to Greg's free spirit and his fun-loving personality. She said that, quote, Greg was very handsome. He had big dimples, and he was a very smiley person, always friendly to everyone. It also didn't hurt that Greg was conventionally attractive. He was 5'10", in great shape. He did a lot of sports, skiing, tennis, that kind of stuff. He was very active. Yeah. Um, he rounded that off with a baby face, the aforementioned dimples, and he also had shorter, shoulder-length curly hair. It was very thick, too. Mm-hmm. It was it was cute. I've seen pictures. He's adorable. Mm-hmm. Just And you can tell in all of his photos, he's got a big grin. Like, yeah. I get, I smiley get it. Per- smiley person was definitely accurate, right. I feel. Um, he was one of three sons and was very devoted to his family. They were all quite close and spent a lot of time together while the kids were growing up. His father, Bill, had a boat and would often take the boys out on the water. They would have a great time jumping off the back or getting pulled along in a big rubber float. So it was kind of tough for the family when Greg met and fell for Pam because it was like a head over heels kind of. Mm-hmm. A yeah. moving fast kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Because the two began a relationship just a couple months after meeting, which that in and of itself, not really a big deal. No red flags. So by February of 1987, they were official. According to a friend of Pam's, they were front, They were fun. They would tease each other. They would laugh and be silly together. They were a good couple, well-suited to each other. On the surface, it didn't really appear as if they would have anything in common. You know, Pam was obviously very academically driven. She was very much an overachiever, whereas Greg was really outgoing, always had a smile on his face. He loved a good party, but he wasn't really interested in going to college. He loved to listen to metal music, and he loved to go out and party. He just wasn't really a good student, so he never really pursued those kinds of things, which is fair. School's not for everyone. What they did share, however, was a gigantic, humongous huge huge passion for heavy metal music pam's car was named halen as in that eddie van halen also like this was a huge part of her life as well as greg's in fact the reason why pam was attracted to greg in the first place was because he reminded her of john bon jovi which is fine i guess because a rumor has it that it was pam's love of rock music that drew greg to her in the first place well and like we said the big he had the big curly hair mm-hmm. that was i don't know if you've watched any 80s rock videos oh but my god that was everybody the had the big permed hair and mm-hmm. he came by that naturally so oh yeah i mean what she said totally checks I out i think see it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for sure so pam of course because she was just on a winter break had to go back to florida so initially the two were in a long distance relationship She did say that this was a bit difficult to maintain at first, but that Greg was looking for a change of pace, so he up and decided to move to Florida. It was Pam's senior year of college anyways, so okay, she's almost done. Yeah, Yeah. you just want to be with her. Um, He started working for a landscaping company, and the pair began to plan out a life together. Greg was literally head over heels in love with Pamela, and eventually he proposed to her. She happily accepted, um, of course, because her life with Greg at the time was picture perfect. Not too long later, on May 7th, 1989, which is around two years after they met, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they tie the knot, and with Pamela out of school, their new lives as a married couple begin. Greg starts to realize that he wants a bit more out of his life than metal and parties and whatnot. Um, he wants to settle down, establish a career for himself, get a firm footing. He's a married man now. I get that. Like, I think he was like, okay, like, I'm following the trajectory that, like, I'm supposed to. I met and married the love of my life. Now we're going to settle down and buy a house or what, we you know. We need some stability. We're going to so. start moving forward mm-hmm. to kids. You know, I think that was just the mindset that he had. Right. Um, he did go to Pamela He told her he wanted to move back to New Hampshire because his father owned and operated an insurance company there, and he could all but guarantee his son a decent job. This was not super ideal for Pam. Um, Miami was likely a much better place for a wannabe broadcaster with big blonde hair. (laughs) But 
in the name of love, she agreed to the move anyways. She basically decided that she wanted to be morally supportive. Which I you mean... Get? What we... are you going to be like, oh, we just got married? No. Right. <laughs> I mean, well, you could, but douche. <laughs> right. That would not be a good look. <laughs> not a great look at all. So they move back to Derry, where they rent a condo on Misty Morning Drive. Tell me that name isn't, that like, name, idyllic. I was like gag you can tell it was built it had to have been built in the 80s 70s or 80s oh my god yeah well it was brand new so it was built literally like so late the 80s, 80s. Mm-hmm. and it was a new complex it was had um complete with contemporary furniture it had attractive decor we're talking things like a white leather couch and wall-to-wall carpeting because that's what was attractive decor in the late 80s, early 90s. I'm like, nope, pull out all of that carpeting. I want all hardwood or laminate flooring. I don't have any (laughs) carpet in my apartment, and I love it. I love it so much. I just have a few area rugs at my new place, Mm -hmm. so I'm like, vacuuming takes all of, like, 10 minutes. It's so much easier. And that's mostly just dragging it from one room to the other. Right. You know? <laughs> exactly. Not the actual vacuuming. Right. It takes more time to get it set up than anything mm-hmm. else. So, you know, this was kind of a well-to-do neighborhood. So it was a really good place for a young couple to kind of start their married life. But, you know, Pamela just wasn't really on board with this whole major life change. She was really kind of struggling with it in the first place. It's not really what she wanted. And what made things a bit more difficult was the fact that Greg cut his hair. Not his hair, Brie. Have you watched the TV show Schitt's Creek? Yay, no, I have not. Oh my gosh. So there's this one scene where one of the characters is like having a spicy moment with another character and they're have a lovely night together. Next morning he shaves his beard and she's like, The fuck did you do oh, that no. for? She's like, I loved that about you. Obviously not a great relationship in the show. Well, yeah. But it made me think of that because Pam, you guys, was distraught. Distraught. She, he, he did it because he thought a shorter style would be more professional than like the long and unruly hair that he had going on. And this move turned out to be, quote, a major turning point in their relationship, end quote, for Pam. That, here's here's my favorite quote about his hair. She said, instead of Bon Jovi, (sighs) Greg, with his shorn locks, looked like just another New England yuppie. Hmm. Great. Yeah. And obviously she has a great disdain for New England yuppies. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, if that doesn't speak volumes to how she felt right? about being in New Hampshire, I don't know what did. I was like, I read that and I was like, oh no. When I first, I, I'm familiar with this case because, like, it's just kind of one of those ones that you run the gamut when you kind of get into this genre, genre and all that kind of stuff. The first time I had learned that she was so distraught over hair. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But, you know, digging into it, it makes sense. Because if you think about it, she spent all of her, like, social years where you learn how to, like, socially interact with people, how to, like, deal with this kind of stuff, not being social with other people her age. And now she's out in the world, married, and, like, I feel like she's probably emotionally still 16, I could see that. You know, like, that's the vibe I get from it. I just, the thought of being this upset over somebody else's haircut. It's crazy. Is like, what? I, I, Mark and I have a deal. I don't cut my hair shorter than shoulder length, and he doesn't shave his hair off. Oh. But, like, that's a compromise that I'm willing to make. At the end of the day, if I wanted a pixie cut, I'd fucking get it. And he would just be fine. I don't want it. It took forever i just got my haircut Mm -hmm. and it looks beautiful and i love it so much and you can't pay me enough to have short hair so it's not long to grow your hair (laughs) oh my god i know it really does it really does so basically what we're trying to say here is that their marriage is not really off to a great start we're already starting with red flags yeah so we're off to the race we're like negative one (laughs) in things here it's not looking good um, nonetheless, despite her upset, um, life moved on and Pam had to find a job. Uh, she began to work as a media coordinator for the local school district. She was responsible for writing press releases, filming short videos, and also teaching the kids how to use audio and video equipment 
and this was across 11 different schools in the district. She also began volunteering with Project Self-Esteem, which was a local drug awareness program that all freshmen in the district were expected to participate in. It was like the D.A.R.E. program. Right, because that was the thing, you know? (laughs) Um, Pamela did excel in this role because she was able to impress the kids with her extensive knowledge of metal music. She also had a knack for speaking to them as equals rather than talking down to them like a lot of her counterparts did. Mm, Almost like emotionally she might have been on the same level. A teenager. It's all coming together. Um, This program does kind of play a pivotal part in things because this is where Pamela met a couple of students, Billy Flynn specifically and his friend Cecilia Pierce. Billy loved metal music too and felt a certain kinship with Pamela. Um, He would often go out of his way to be helpful during the program sessions and made it a habit to visit Pamela in her office. Just put a pin in that Mm -hmm. because you know we're going to be coming back Mm -hmm. to that in a major way later on. So on the surface, life of the newly married smarts was good. They both had newish cars. They were doing well in their respective careers. They even bought a little dog, an adorable little shih tzu named Halen. They got me with this shih tzu. I love shih tzu. I know you do. I thought of you when I read that, like when I was reading everything. I was like, oh, yeah. Aww. I just wish that they would have gotten more creative with the name. You could have even just called him Eddie. So you named your car and your dog the same name? She had a vanity plate that said Halen for her car. I mean, I like lots of things. I don't like anything that much. <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> You're going to have to get me with something real good. Right. Although at this point, I think if Queen Herbie gave me a vanity plate that said, like, Queen Herbie, I would put that on our car, Absolutely. regardless of what Mark has to say about it. Like, this is, this is us now. Sorry. So, Pamela really loved that dog, and who can blame her? But she treated it like a little baby, and this led Greg to believe that she'd make a wonderful mother one day. And at first, when I read that, I was like, that's kind of a weird leap. But then I kind of dug into things further, like, really dug into Suze's research, and I saw that she, like doted on it she would take it on walks she was really protective like she took him everywhere She'd make him meals specifically yep. for him it wouldn't even be anything they were eating like oh i'm feeding you table scraps mm-hmm. it was his own food. i am preparing you a meal <laughs> specifically mm-hmm. and so i think where that kind of piece of information came from he was telling his mom if this is any indicator of what pam would be like as a mom she's going to be a great mom which cements what we were kind of saying earlier Greg was trying he had like family goals on his mind he was trying not not be a grown-up but he was trying to grow up right he was like judging from my upbringing this is what you do you get married you buy a house you have kids right steps one two and three you know what I mean Mm -hmm. so he's just following the path laid out before him right and his parents had like a successful successful healthy relationship by all accounts right he had really close relationships with his brothers in fact one of his brothers wrote a book all about their relationship. Oh. Yeah, it was actually kind of sad because I found this because I was trying to find more information about Greg Smart specifically because... There was not a whole lot. Yeah. I feel as though he gets eclipsed by everything that yes. comes later, and I didn't want us to participate in that if we could help it. So I was trying to see if I could maybe dig a little bit, rabbit hole it, you know, all that jazz. Right. And so I stumbled upon a couple articles that gave us, like, one or two little tidbits here and there. But his brother wrote a book, and I went to the Amazon page and read the reviews. A lot of people were so pissed <laughs> because he framed it as the real story of Greg Smart's murder or something like that. Yeah. He doesn't talk about the murder, and he doesn't talk about Pamela, which to me wasn't surprising because in one of the interviews he said, I'm writing this book – it was before, it was while he's working on it, he yeah. gave this interview and he was like, I'm writing this book because I don't want people to talk about Pam. I want them to talk about Greg. Oh, that's valid. And so this book was like all their own experiences. I'm not going to pay $15 to read mm. it because I'm not really interested. I hope that doesn't make me sound insensitive, but like. Not, not, you don't mean it in that way. I just, I'm not really into reading your memoirs. Right. I, I love that he did that for him. But I think that's part of the reason why there's not a lot out there, too. I think his brother kind of mitigated a lot of that. So Hmm. I really did try. The reviews were really funny. I do, uh, (laughs) if you guys are bored, (laughs) 
Go I read love the- to read a good Amazon review. I was like, you guys, I was like, he literally did that on purpose. Everybody's like, there wasn't any murder talk. I wanted to learn something oh more. Oh, my goodness. And the I inter- get it. You can get it all on the internet, the well, murder talk. And, I mean, he definitely, for saying he doesn't want to sensationalize the murder, he definitely capitalized on the sensationalism of it right. with what he put on the cover of the book. Oh, goodness gracious. So, I mean, like, mm. I get their frustration because they were like, I didn't mind reading it. It was a nice book, but, like. It wasn't what I expected. Not what you advertise, sir. Right. <laughs> so, I get it. Anyways, I digress. You know. It was very obvious at this point that Greg wanted to eventually add kids to the mix. But, unfortunately, things began to take a turn, if you will, less than a year into the marriage. As we know, Greg began to grow up a bit. He became a bit more conservative in a lot of ways. And while he still loved his metal music and he would often invest in good audio equipment, which is another sign of adulthood, because you're like, well, I still want to keep my hobby, but I'm going to change the way that I mm-hmm. interact with my hobby. Yep. He his interest just wasn't as intense as it once was. I don't think it was just like all encompassing him anymore. And as if the haircut wasn't bad enough, which was it was pretty tragic. It was if you'll remember. traumatizing for her. Apparently, <laughs> she was really struggling with the changes that Greg was making because she was not on board. She wanted. I think that now that she was out of school, she was like, "Well, now I can finally play." Because I got my degree and I'm in a career now. But unfortunately, like, that was a conversation they should have had before they got married, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that out there. One would think, yeah. Communication. It's crazy, guys. Uh, <laughs> all of this was just didn't help because Greg was spending a lot more time out of the house. He had to do some traveling for work in addition to going door to door during the evenings, trying to sell insurance, if you'll recall. That back when you could go door to door and do things. I would hate that. With my anxiety, I could never. I could never. I've driven around the block ten more times to avoid, like, the Mormons or the Jehovah's that are walking (laughs) through my neighborhood. As you should, (laughs) folks. Don't Um, let them get to you. (laughs) Stay free, my friend. Don't open the door. (laughs) Or just Mark and I, our new uh, tactic is to just tell them we're Scientologists. Oh, no. Because they're they're not going to want to fuck with that. Yeah. Um, So on top of all of this, Greg was also spending a lot more time with his friends. All this put together means that there's not a whole lot of time left for his dear wife, Pamela. And then on one of those nights out, Greg just didn't come home. Mm -mm -mm. Tisk tisk. Um, Pamela woke up by herself that morning, which was mostly unusual. Greg finally admitted to cheating on her that night. Um, that he had, in fact, stayed the night with a woman doing things that adults do, you know. Getting a little spicy time. Yeah, I know. Um, you can imagine how devastating this was for her to hear. They were supposed to have a picture-perfect marriage, and now her husband had stepped out on her. It deeply affected her and destroyed a lot of the trust that she did have in Greg. Ultimately, the two decided to stay together, because they always do, and try to work things out. It was tough. Because this did greatly impact her self-esteem as well. She said that she, quote, didn't feel important anymore and that this had just changed everything. Yeah. She also was quoted saying, like, you know, the typical things that anybody feels when they get cheated on in a relationship. You feel like you're not good enough. You wonder why. Also, let's roll this into a person who might have a mentality of a much younger person. Yeah. There's probably a lot of anger. Who well, and also has like I don't blame her. Maybe like narcissistic tendencies is a bit too strong of a word, but we've definitely seen like control, you know, things Issues. in her past, mm-hmm. and I could imagine her not wanting to share her husband. Not a lot of people do. Well, I. I can't imagine why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, if y'all agreed upon it before, again, if you agreed upon it before, it's fine. <laughs> I just feel as though no matter what your intentions are, open, honest, yeah. somebody always gets hurt. Absolutely. Well, you know? I mean, and it's a good thing that he admitted to it, and it's good that, and you know, it is possible to work through something well, like that. And and again, For sure. as we've decided, Greg was a good guy. Absolutely. He loved his wife. Mm-hmm. He fucked up. Yeah, he admitted that, yes. and he wanted to make it better. So and Pam had the decision to make, and you don't have you can accept you know somebody doing something like that and not move forward with them, but if you choose to stay, and you choose to work it out, then you should probably 
also make the effort to do so. To work it out. (laughs) So, like, what we're about to see is this chain of events here kind of marks the moment in time where the foundation of their marriage really started to crack. In my opinion, they were building the foundation on quicksand as it was. Mm, yeah. And this is when it firmly started to, like, like give go, way. Yeah, you yeah know? that's that's a really good the way to put it. The foundation was there. They were obviously attracted to each other. Yeah. And they cared for each other, but... And even seemed to have personalities, <laughs> for the most part, that had the enough mesh, of, like, yeah. a... Like a... There was a lot in common, but they were also different enough that it kind of worked. So it, it is kind of sad to, like, dig into this and see this relationship crumbling before us. Sometimes an affair will do that. Right. Even if you have good intentions to try to move forward. They just started arguing way more often after that. And Pam would constantly throw the affair in his face. And that's not really fair if you are going to try to work through it. Well, it, and if you want to be mad, be mad. But if we've mutually agreed to move forward and work on things Mm -hmm. you can't keep doing that because that's just anchoring you to that right that mistake it's just keeping you stuck there it's in that circle of just vicious hurt for everybody Mm -hmm. nobody's winning everybody's hurt it's a carousel of hurt yes absolutely (laughs) they just seem to be incapable of having any kind of productive conversation and it just meant that they couldn't really work on resolving anything. So, like Sue said, they're just kind of in the cycle of hurting each other now. And it's so hard to stop that. And it's so hard to reverse it. Mm-hmm. Greg would sometimes vent to his family about Pam and their relationship, often complaining to his mother, saying, boy, she can be a bitch. Which I'm sure she fucking could. I mean, I could see it. She gets real spicy in those interviews sometimes. I'm like, girl... Well, and even watching current footage of her, I'm like, man, I bet she could be a real big bitch. I mean, prison, I'm sure, has hardened her. Just her whole demeanor. uh, Everything. I'm like, (laughs) this bitch could throw hands, I think. (laughs) I think you're probably correct. I would not want to fuck with anybody who has been doing hard jail time for 30 30 years. 30 plus years. (laughs) No, thanks. (laughs) Um, So, you know, not to... So surprisingly, Pam's parents adored Greg. Just to kind of like talk about the parent perspective here, they loved Greg also. To to them, he seemed like glamorous. His family, obviously, was like on the wealthier side. They have a boat and his dad owned his own business. Right. But at the end of the day, he was someone who loved their daughter and he was just a good man. His family, on the other hand, though, did not care for Pam. Oh, no. Yeah, so... Greg's father said that Pam had always treated them coolly when they were interacting with each other and that she was often very inhospitable when the in-laws were, like, staying with them when they lived down in Florida. She would rush them through events. She wouldn't want to spend a lot of time with them. It was just not how... It's no bueno. That's not how that should be going. There was no indication that Greg's parents gave her any reason to act like that. Not from what I researched. Like, my mom is batshit, so it makes complete sense why, like, there's no relationship there. But, like, Lisa's an angel. Mm -hmm. So, I don't... There wasn't any reason why... Greg's mom also really wanted to, like, have a relationship with Pam. I'm pretty sure she had all boys, so... Yeah. It was really unfortunate. They didn't... It was really upsetting for them to not be able to cultivate anything. Well, especially because from, from what we read... The Smart family, the original Smart family was very tight. Yes. Everybody so was close. friends. We do things together. You know what I mean? We all hang yeah. out as a family unit. And for her to be like, no, thank you. Not it was probably sort of like a really cruel brush off for them because they're, yeah. they're not used to that. You know what I mean? Well, it's personal at that point. Right. You're their daughter-in-law. What are they supposed to think? Well, yeah. You know? So, it was just not really great, and it added that in and of itself added stress. But you know, despite all of the arguing and frustration, Greg was still planning a bomb.com anniversary present for Pam. He was planning to fly her to Florida so they could just bum it out on the beach for a little while. And unfortunately, this trip would never come to fruition. And sadly, that is because on May 1st, 1990, Greg Smart was murdered. Around 8.30 that evening, he was shot execution-style inside of his own home. 
He was found lying on the dining room floor. His feet and ankles were splayed out in the foyer, and a 38 caliber hollow point slug, which if you're doing the math at home, that's a nasty mm-hmm. son of a bitch, um, that was lodged in his skull. Next to his body was a brass candlestick. Underneath him was his diamond-studded wedding ring, his keys, and his wallet. Weird, right? Like, interesting. So it was a couple of hours that went by before Pamela actually had gotten home that night because she was attending a school board meeting regarding her interest in teaching a media class that fall. Because at this point, I don't think she taught class. I think it was more like club overseeing, and she was part of that volunteer program. Yep. So, she didn't arrive home until after her husband, which was, or no, I'm sorry, she usually didn't arrive home after her husband. It happened, but it wasn't super often, so this night that she did, it was kind of weird, and when she pulled up to the house, she noticed right away that the house was all dark, and that was unusual, too, because Greg would, on these rare nights, turn on the light when he would come home first, so she didn't have to walk into the house in the dark, because he's a good guy. So she parked her car, she walked by Greg's truck, and proceeded to make her way into the unit. She unlocked the door, she walked inside, and she switched on the foyer light. And that's when she saw what she saw. Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Um, Later on, Pam said that she remembered, quote, seeing him and the candlestick and the pillow, end quote, when she walked into her home. She then just starts screaming, mostly for help, but just in general. Literally just just screaming. Um, and she's running to the next couple of units. It was sort of like a townhouse situation. Yeah. Everybody was pretty close. Like a condo complex kind of vibe. Yeah, kind of dealy. Um, she was pounding on doors, pounding on other doors, yelling Ringing out, my husband. doorbells. My husband. She was absolutely hysterical. Um, one of the neighbors opened the door, but was suspicious of all the noise, rightly so. Yeah. People are crazy. You don't know what's going on. Why is somebody just, why is a woman, a young woman screaming right. frantically through my condominium complex? And knocking on everybody's doors. What is happening? What they wound, what the neighbor wound up doing was grabbed Pamela and pulled her through the front door, shut the door behind her, and then started asking questions like what the fuck's going on she just kept yelling my husband's hurt he's on the floor i don't know what's wrong with him at one point in all of the mayhem she uttered seemingly to herself quote why do they keep doing this end quote what pamela what and that's but i'm sure though so the hysterics aside you've got somebody not in the middle of the night but late in the evening yeah it was like 10. Running around in the dark, screaming. Yeah. Like, everybody's on edge. What questions are you going to be mm-hmm. asking? You know, it was just, I, I would have locked the door probably. It was chaotic. <laughs> and called the police. Right, absolutely. Personally. Which is kind of what happens because at this point there are, se- although there are several people wandering out of their condos wondering what the heck's going on, but two of the neighbors call the police and a couple others go to Pam and they offer help so there was one neighbor named Art he was a homie he comes up to her and he's like what is going on like what's wrong with you and her response was my husband's on the floor so Art's like what's wrong with him where is he because she's not great I mean you know allegedly she's panicked and frantic and just so all over you're the not place, really kind of. gonna make a lot of sense but it's kind of odd that she's not giving any kind of information other than screaming about her husband being on the floor that just could mean so many things well yeah so he asked you know where is he she just pointed towards her unit so this guy like runs outside looking for greg and he doesn't find him now keep in mind that art was like when i heard her screaming i was certain that greg was hurting her like he thought Which that abuse was, was like, happening oh okay he was gonna rescue her he was, I was like fucking superman in his way right out that's a brave neighbor i'm that's just saying art's the homie <laughs> so he doesn't find greg and he turns around and he screams he's like where the fuck is he and pam responds with a yell of her own and she tells him that greg is inside but warns art that he shouldn't go in there because quote there may still be somebody in there i just envision like shrieking just loud yeah. shrieking and art's probably like honest to fuck 
fucking god, guys. Like, where is he? What's happening? Especially if he thought that Greg was the dangerous one. Right. He would want to nullify that threat. He would want to know where she's at. other people, potentially. Exactly. Especially at this point, there's so many people, like, more than two or three people milling around this area trying to, like, help her and see what's going on. It's not not safe. Mm -hmm. If there's a threat... It was a dangerous situation. Like I said, doors would be locked. I'd be on the phone with the police, but I'd still be looking out my blinds to make well, sure yeah. nobody's coming for me, too. Right. We, <laughs> we are self-preferred. Self hey, if you need help, come on in, as long as you're not a crazy person. Maybe. I don't know. I've watched too many know. shows like The Walking Dead and shit like that where you just can't uh, trust anybody. You let in the infiltrator. You can't trust anybody. Oh, The Walking Dead. Ugh. Um. Anyways, <laughs> we digress yet again. Thankfully, because people had already called, the police were on their way to the condo, and they arrived on the scene fairly quickly. EMS arrived quickly as well, but unfortunately, they were not needed. A medical examiner came to the condo and officially called Greg's time of death at 11.19 p.m. So it is. It's nighttime. Yeah. It's dark. I think it was like 10 o'clock or 10.10 or so, I think, when she got got home. home. Yeah. So, I mean, that's late. I'm already in bed for two hours at this point. If somebody's out there yelling and screaming, like, good luck. Sorry about it. My old neighborhood, (laughs) people were outside yelling and screaming all the time. So, to me, uh, back in the day, I was just like, it's fine. Like they're at it again. (laughs) This is like some purge shit. I'm not not opening the door. I'll stay in here. Um, So investigators did quickly secure the area and they waited for investigators, other investigators to arrive, do their thing, forensic, all that kind of jazz. Police Captain Loring Jackson lived close to the scene, so he headed over to meet detectives (laughs) Daniel Pelletier and Barry... Okay, so I really... I had Google speak this to me she, like she would not ten know how times. to say that. She did not know. It's C A H R E W I C Z. I really tried to figure this one out. I th- is that Polish? That Possibly. Polish. I don't know. I'm terrible. I just don't even try to guess that stuff because I'm, I'm always so rude. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, Detective Barry. Daniel I, and Barry are I the like, detectives. Yeah, I like calling Long them by their short. first name. <laughs> um, these are the two men that wound up being assigned to the case. Murders were definitely not a common occurrence in Derry, New Hampshire. In fact, that was the only murder that occurred that year. That year. It was May. Mm-hmm. And then the whole rest of the year. I'm pretty right. sure they didn't have any more after that. Like, Just that the, was sing- it. the singular murder, which I think is so crazy, you know, because if you think about the time period, it was the 1990, right? Mm-hmm. And... It was supposed to be, like, still... It was still that era of being safe. Like, you could leave your doors unlocked. Yep. And Oddly enough, I so speaking of, I found a meme or saw one I, somewhere on the interweb. And it was, like, uh, I think it said the older generation, like, ah, oh, I want to go back to when it was safer. And then it's, like, the 1970s. And it was pictures of all the active serial killers that yeah. happened in the 70s. I'm, like, that's a really good point. <laughs> I feel like California alone had yeah. like fifteen serial At the killers. Same I was time. Like, Wait, what? Yeah, I just thought that was funny. Uh, but well, yeah, so it was supposed to be safe in Derry, New Hampshire. Yeah. Long story short, things like this weren't supposed to happen. Not to people like this. Right. Not in a place like this. Just in general, and it—that's part of what made this intriguing to law enforcement and this was very kind it was like a they got to the scene and they're just kind of like what is happening it was chaotic because at first glance it appeared as if there was like a burglary gone wrong kind of thing happening but that didn't really sit right with captain jackson he had been on the uh, police force for almost 30 years at that point and he had an eye for detail that most people didn't because he was an artist before becoming a police officer. I love that. So he kind of was able to, like, look at scenes and kind of look at them in a way that others might not. He dug into the scene a bit more, and he took no time at all for absolutely nothing to make sense, which is unusual. To start, a nighttime burglary taking place in a densely populated area was just odd. Didn't happen. Then you add in the style of killing. Also didn't happen. Right. How about the fact that there were zero signs of forced entry? There were no signs of a struggle. Yet, the scene was absolutely, like, shit was just thrown everywhere. 
Additionally, it was odd for a burglar in general to fight back if interrupted while committing the crime. They tended to just flee, not shoot the homeowner execution style. Also, so as we noted, his diamond wedding ring and his wallet were found under him. Underneath his body. If you were there to get valuables... Right. Wouldn't you take the valuable items? At you least think. what you could carry if you're going to go through all of this right. mayhem, you know what I mean? You would think, right? Hmm. Something's Makes you go, hmm. Not adding up. <laughs> At any rate, Captain Jackson was not buying what the scene was selling. <laughs> it felt staged. The TV and some pretty nice speakers had been unplugged and relocated near the back door. Well, yeah, because remember, Greg was investing in mm-hmm. good audio equipment. Uh, It appeared on the surface as if someone had ransacked the condo, but nothing was missing. According to the FBI, quote, offenders who stage crime scenes usually make mistakes because they arrange the scene to resemble what they believe it should look like. In doing so, offenders experience a great deal of stress and do not have the time to fit all the pieces together logically. As a result... Inconsistencies in forensic findings and in the overall big picture of the crime scene will begin to appear. These inconsistencies can serve as the red flags of staging, which serve to um, prevent investigations from becoming misguided. So that's basically exactly what was going on here. Right. Captain Jackson was like, no, (laughs) ma'am. I don't know what's happening here, but it certainly wasn't a burglary. Right. I don't know what y'all were trying to do, but it was not burglarizing. It, I don't understand people who try to, like, state, that makes a lot of sense. Like, what the FBI was saying. And then I reread it, and I was like, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Because you're you're overthinking. Mm -hmm. That's why. And you're fucking it up. (laughs) Well, and what are your sources? Mm -hmm. Television? In my, on on Law and Order, this is what a burglary scene's supposed to look (laughs) like. Throw things on the ground, open some drawers, like, good. (laughs) You don't even move anything in the drawers, you just keep them neat and tidy. Just pull it out, like, good (laughs) enough. The speakers were just set by the back door, the television was i think just unplugged i don't even know if the tv was moved i know that they moved the speakers it wasn't super clear but that's just it random things were just misplaced nothing if anything was actually gone and if anything was was moved around it wasn't anything of value Mm -hmm. everything like sue said anything that had monetary value was left behind a diamond encrusted wedding ring yeah my friends got one that's like bling bling. Like if you're gonna rob somebody, that's what you're gonna that's take. What you're gonna you can take. put it in your pocket and get away with it. You know what I mean? You're not gonna kill somebody and then just leave everything behind. Right, exactly. Hmm. It's weird, right? So strange. Of course, police look at the usual suspects of a murder like this. Pamela being the spouse had to be cleared before they moved any further. But she had an airtight alibi because she had been at the school meeting about thirty five miles away from the scene. Airtight. It would be a couple of weeks before police had any leads as to what could have happened to Greg Smart that night. This lead that they eventually received about two or three weeks into the investigation came in the form of an anonymous tip. And this tip told police that they needed to investigate Pam and more specifically her time as a volunteer with Project Self-Esteem a little bit harder. Whoa, no. And this is where we're going to leave you. (laughs) Cliffhanger. I don't want to get too far into the investigation because there is just so many things about to unfold. It's sort of so enmeshed that Mm -hmm. it's like once you pick at one thread, the whole thing's going to come apart. This is what we wanted to avoid was having a five hour long (laughs) episode. So so. we're going to stop there because at this point, once this tip comes in, that's where the investigation really gets going. It does and kick into high drive, and it's just there's all mayhem from so there. So many things we're going to talk about. So many things. So much stuff. <laughs> so what a crazy case, though, am I right? It is. So it far. It's just like, wow, what happened to the picture-perfect couple? Exactly. How was Pam involved if she was 35 miles away? Dun, dun, dun. We've got questions, and next week we'll get the answers. We'll have answers. <laughs> Promise. So, you know. We just really appreciate you guys hanging out with us so very much. I We appreciate your time and your support so very much. Make sure you guys are checking out the podcast on social media. Every Friday we post a sneak peek of what case and cocktail we're going to be doing. 
We'll make sure to give you guys the ingredient list. So if you want to follow along with the recipe and sip the same cocktail, you'll know ahead of time what you would need to buy. I think I've been calling it like our bar restock list or something mm-hmm. like that. We want to give you guys the opportunity. If you want to sip along the same drink, you'll already be ready to go. Suze will tell you what to do. Heck and then yeah. we have a drink together. We don't want you scrambling on the day of. If you're listening on Sunday and you just want to stay in your jam jams all day, yeah, feel free. Which is what Suze and I do on Sundays. That's why we want you to be ready with all the ingredients exactly. stocked and loaded. Ready to go. Um, we do also post a how-to video and the full recipe once the episode is out. You can catch us on Instagram and Facebook at Crime and Spirits Pod. Thank you for all the follows on Instagram. Yes. Y'all are the bomb.com. We've definitely grown a little bit. So thank you guys for coming we to hang out. It. So excited to have you. We're working on making our reels better. Also, that's another thing that we're trying to grow and I figure out. I'm fucking stoppable at this point, guys. Watch out. We're on a mission. <laughs> um, we're also on Twitter. You can find us at Crime Spirits Pod. No and. Um, if you want to follow us personally, we're on Instagram. I'm at Suze, not Susan. And I am at Brie, B-R-E-E underscore, not the cheese. If you guys like what we do, please head over to Apple Podcasts, please, and leave us a rating and a review. We do want to hear from you, and we appreciate any and all constructive feedback. We've also got an email, and if you have any case recommendations, drinks you want us to try and add in, if you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter of our podcast, all you have to do is hit that link in the show notes. Bree's going to have it all linked all party It's going to be all ready to go. So, before we end our time together, we're not just going to leave you in this weird heightened state of what the fuck is going on with this case. We're going to leave you with a bad dad joke. And Dutch. I I was reading some jokes yesterday on the drive to dinner, and this was the one that got everybody in the car to laugh. Excellent. So <laughs> I did my research this time. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> What's red and bad for your teeth? Oh, no. What? A brick. Huh? <laughs> that is really bad right. for your teeth. <laughs> that is like, accurate. I started laughing when I read it, and they were like, what? And I was like, okay, let me tell you this joke, because I had already told them like five, and yeah. I'm pretty sure they were They were me. like, oh, God, not another one. A brick. What? <laughs> oh, no. But I'm bump. Vicious. We're vicious. <laughs> we're vicious today. I have a website that I'm like, dad jokes, dad jokes. Hey, I love it. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for being here. We really appreciate you. Make sure that you're out there taking care of yourselves. You're enjoying your alcoholic beverages responsibly. If you listen to this on the day it comes out, hopefully you're not too terribly hungover from the St. Patty's Day that green beer holiday. That can fuck with your insides, <laughs> Oh, man. it's not great. Make sure you're just chilling, hanging out, ordering some food, drink a glass of water. We love and appreciate you guys, and I hope you have the the super best day. Bye. Bye.